Now we'll look at this assessment. The front of the assessment will be ultrasonography. Ultrasonography or ultrasound during pregnancy. Now there are three kinds of ultrasound we can do in pregnancy. We'll look at the three kinds and we'll look at a bit of each. Two, we'll look at uh, a test we call the BPP, the biophysical profile. It's very important to do in pregnancy. We'll talk to you on the importance of the BPP. And we'll also look at a test we do. The non-stress test, NST, has the reactive and it has the non-reactive. Then we'll look at the CST, the contraction stress test. How can you know that it is due, it is indicated? Then we'll look at um, the, the chorionic villus sampling, the CVS, not the pharmacy, the test done for pregnant women. When can it be done? Then we'll talk about maternal alpha fetoprotein. The, uh, the, the, the AFP is important to know the, 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 the level, why we want to do it, and how can it be done. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about aminosynthesis. Aminosynthesis. Then we'll go ahead. We'll talk about percutaneous umbilical sampling percutaneous percutaneous umbilicus sampling umbilical sampling these are important tests for the anklets if you have an ankle and you don't know these tests meaning you're not ready for the anklets so you want to make sure to know them uh what are the indications what are the nursing consideration for these tests they have more than there are more we're talking about tests like uh the glucose tolerance test, glucose tolerance test, the one hour glucose tolerance test, the three hour glucose tolerance test. How do you prepare a patient who needs these tests? The HbA1c for glucose, how do you do that? The fasting blood glucose, the, uh, all these tests are important to know when you are going for the anklets. So let's look at the first one, the ultrasonography. For the ultrasonography, um, it is a test, uh, a procedure that lasts for approximately 20 minutes. So this test lasts for 20 minutes. That's how long it should last for. That's the normal time for ultrasound, 20 minutes. Now, for pregnant women. Uh, there are three kinds of ultrasound. We have the abdominal ultrasound. We have one, the abdominal ultrasound. We have two, the transvaginal ultrasound, and we have three, we have the Doppler ultrasound. The Doppler, Doppler is the third one that we have uh, to look at. Now, with these tests for the, for the anklets, it is important to know that this test can be used to visualize internal organs that are producing real-time, three-dimensional fetal and maternal structure if we do ultrasound it tells us so many things there are so many indications when we do ultrasound when we do this ultrasound it tells us uh, uh it gives us the fetal structural morphology it gave us the maternal structures in the uterus 
They tell this thing in a three-dimensional view, in a very unique view. Um, you have the abdominal ultrasound, it's painless, um, it is done in the first trimester. It is important to note when this test can be done. It is important to know when can this test be done. For the abdominal one, it is done in the first trimester. That's when we do the abdominal ultrasound. Now, for this one, um, it tells us the uterus, how the uterus is large, the size of the uterus. It tells us whether the, the, the female is carrying two babies, three babies, or one. It also tells us that a lot of things about the fetus and the mom image images. Now, for the abdominal ultrasound, it is the ultrasound in which the doctor will say, or the, 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 the nurse will say, when you come in the morning, drink a glass full of water. Or when you get here, go at the, at the sink and drink enough water. That means it requires a full bladder. So the abdominal ultrasound require a full bladder. So when we have a full bladder, it pushes up uh, the uterus and it helps us to visualize the uterus adequately for the abdominal ultrasound. This is painless. Then we have the transvaginal ultrasound. This transvaginal ultrasound, we insert a probe into the vagina. We go into the vaginal intratus, uh, we insert a probe that goes in and visualizes what is in there structurally, giving us the dimension of the fetus within the uterus. It does that for us. For this vaginal ultrasound, um, it does not require a full bladder. It requires an empty bladder. Because, just think about it. If we have a full bladder and we insert a, and a probe is inserted into the vagina, the, the, the folder of the bladder prevents us from extensively visualizing the uterus. So it is only in the abdominal ones, the ones we rub on the, on the abdomen to see what is in the abdomen or in the uterus, that one is the one that uses a full bladder. We need to drink before the, or before the procedure. The vaginal tap requires an empty bladder. Let's remember, and this, this is also done in the first trimester it is important to know that this can help us to detect ectopic pregnancy. That's one thing. It also helps us to detect um, other abnormalities. The gestational age, how old is the baby? These things can be detected with the vaginal ultrasound. It's also done in the first trimester. Another thing is, um, Sometimes we can it can be used in the third trimester, and I will tell you in this class today when does it when can it be useful in the third in the third trimester? So this can be used both in first trimester and in third trimester. In first trimester, it helps to detect ectopic pregnancy, fetal abnormalities, and other structural deformities of the fetus after uh, after the zygote is has been found has been formed. Now. What is important here also, if, we, if, it, if it's done in the third trimester, it helps to uh, it has it helps to identify for us uh, preterm labor. So when we are having preterm labor, we can use this strong vaginal ultrasound to detect to see where the cervix is opening and a lot of things can be seen from this test. We'll look at it in a short period of time. Now, the last one becomes 
the Doppler ultrasound is also like the abdominal because it is non-invasive. Non-invasive means we do not have to enter into body cavity or into body parts. We do not have to access the mucous membrane of our body. We don't have to like use our outer body cover, that is our skin, to complete the, the, the Doppler and that of the abdominal ultrasound. The transvaginal ultrasound is invasive. We have to go into the vagina through the mucous membrane, prop its insider to visualize the uterus. That is what we call the invasive one. But in other two, um, the, the abdominal and the Doppler, they are not invasive. Um, this one, for this Doppler ultrasound, um, it is it helps us to identify fetal, maternal fetal blood flow. Now, this will tell us about maternal uh, fetal blood flow. How the mother and the fetus blood are running together, parallel. How do, how do they exchange blood other things? What's happening in there? And also tell us the speed at which blood is flowing in the body. From the mother to the fetus, back to the mother. How the mother is providing O2. To the fetus through her lungs because in utero the fetal lungs remain closed in utero the fetal lungs are closed until delivery that's until delivery. that's when the lungs uh will begin to function after delivery that's why after delivery we like do all those things uh stimulate the baby to wake up and to start breathing through the nose any question so this test can help us assess also the fetal position. It helps us to, to look at placenta grading. It helps us to detect uh, twin triplet pregnancy or single pregnancy. It helps to confirm pregnancy. You might say that one of the tests we do to confirm, to verify pregnancy is ultrasoundography, right? So ultrasound can help us to what? To verify or to confirm that a woman is pregnant. It's one of the most Chromatory test done to verify or to confirm a real pregnancy. Sometimes a, pre a pregnancy might look alike, uh, it might look like a fibroid or a myomas. So when we do ultrasound, it differentiates a full abdomen that is secondary to a fibroid or pregnancy. Any question? On this ultrasound, um, the patient will assume a position called lithotomy. Lithotomy position is assumed by the patient for the transvaginal ultrasound. Um, we also make sure the prop, the prop, we use a condom. So the prop cannot be inserted like that. We put a condom over the prop and then we pour lubricant. Before inserting it, let's remember this thing very well. It is educational question in the end class. We want to make sure that, that uh, we use lubricant that is water soluble before we can insert it. During the procedure, um, the position of the prop or tilt of the table can be changed. That's when we use the tilting table. So we use what we call tilt table um, when we are doing this procedure because. The female lies on the bed, the legs are upward, 
in that uh in the in the in the, in the position and then we tilt the table up down in various positions to visualize what is in there so the tilt table can be used during this time i saw this tilt table in an anchor question before um another thing is we make sure that uh they might feel a little pressure when the prop is being inserted um when we are doing the ultrasound that requires full bladder patient needs to drink enough fluid to fill the bladder those are things about this ultrasound any question the next one is the bpp the bio the biophysical profile now the biophysical profile is almost like an art it's, it's like an ultrasound so we use a real-time ultrasound to visualize physical and physiological characteristics of the fetus and observe for fetal biophysical responses to stimuli. Now, we use a real-time ultrasound. We want to look at the fetal structural and functional responses. That's about BPP. It tells us about the fetal structural and functional responses but we stimulate the feature we stimulate the features in here now um it can be combined so many in this bpp we combine an ultrasound plus non-stress test to give us the result so we combine fetal ultrasound and fetal heart monitoring so we'll combine the fetal ultrasound, fetal, fetal ultrasound, plus, um, plus the fetal, the fetal heart rate monitoring, plus the fetal heart heart rate monitoring, heart rate monitoring, which we use the stress test, the non-stress test. So non-stress test can be used to monitor the fetal heart rate and then we can use the fetal ultrasound to give the both tests combined combine a core biophysical profile it gave us the structure and the functional ability of the fetus in utero i want to remember these things for the biophysical profile what is important under here it is is that uh um it can that uh, this test diagnose uh one non-reactive non-stress test it can it can provide an answer that is non-reactive non-stress test and i'll tell you what is non-reactive non-stress and what is reactive non-stress test now um it also can diagnose oligohydramnia or polyhydramnia so we have oligohydramnia oligohydramnia and we have poly so these two conditions are condition of the amniotic fluid the oligo is decreased amount decreased volume of amniotic fluid in the uterus and the poly is increased volume of amniotic fluid in the uterus oleg and poly poly mean more oleg means scanty in a sense now um this test can also let us to know that the fetus is having breathing problem if you're having hypoxia or hypoxemia so when, when a fetus has hypoxemia we can detect it from 
this test. Now, uh, now when the fit, when the mother, so these are fetal diagnoses that we're talking about. We're talking about now when the mother is having a bad result of biological profile. What are the mother's presentations? What are the symptoms she's gonna present with? One, she will have premature rupture of the membrane p r o m the mother will have prom premature rupture of the membrane prom that's one she will have so if she's having a bad result of this of this particular test she will have she might have p r o m she might also have maternal infection definitely whenever there is a premature rupture of the membrane the highest risk condition is infection and that's why whenever you are in labor and you have the memory rupturing, meaning in a simple term, term, the water bear has burst. If that's the case, you want to move towards the hospital so that we can put in measure to prevent infection because the fluid that is around the baby, that amniotic fluid provides cushion for the baby. It provides protection for the baby. So when that water bear is opening, it leaks out. The fetus become at risk for infection. Also, when this occurs, there will be decreased fetal movement. Decreased fetal movement um, in utero. Because what can allow them to move is the cushion that is around them to, the move is is the fluid, the amniotic fluid that now is uh it has been emptied from that area. So you post it at risk. And then if it's if it happened prematurely, it retards fetal growth. That's when we have the fourth one will be fetal growth retardation. These are things that happen when we have a bad biophysical profile. Now, um how do we interpret the findings of biological profile this is very important let's look at it how do we interpret a result of a biophysical profile for a biophysical profile um this like i said it helps to assess the fetal well-being it uses five variables to assess the fetal condition i want to remember this very well this test, biological profile, is a test that determines the fetal well-being by using five domains of five variables. One, when we do biological profile to have the, the result interpreted, we look at the fetal heart rate. That's the first thing it, it determines, fetal heart rate. Now, if there is a fetal heart rate, meaning it is reactive. It is reactive if it is reactive meaning it is it is good so we give them two if there is no fetal heart rate meaning it is not good meaning it is non-reactive it is non-reactive non-reactive meaning we give them zero now this test comes with a non-stress test 
We said in biomedical profile, we used two tests to, to give us the BPP. We use an ultrasound, we use non-stress test. Now, for the heart rate, we will have two results coming out. If it's reactive, meaning it is good. Now, in normal tests, like HRV tests, if an HRV test is reactive, what does it mean? Can someone tell me? Positive. Okay. It's meaning it's bad, right? So if an HRV test is reactive, it is bad. It's the opposite of the non-stress test. So if it is reactive, meaning it is good because the baby, the fetal is moving. So we stimulate it. If the fetal moves, meaning it is reactive. So a non a reactive non-stress test is a good result. And a non-reactive non-stress test is a bad result. That's why we'll give it zero. That's one I want you to understand. Now, after the uh, fetal heart rate, the next thing we have is fetal breathing. So fetal breathing or movement, fetal breathing movement, let's say fetal breathing movement, is the second of the five variables that will determine the biophysical profile. For this fetal breathing, um, we look at fetal breath rate. We look at the fetal breath rate for 30 minutes. If there is one episode of breathing that would last longer than 30 seconds in duration for 30 minutes, we'll give them two. That is, if there is one episode, what's the episode? There's fetal movement, fetal breathing. If that occurs for more than 30 seconds during a 30 minute period, so meaning we sit and wash the fetal for how many minutes? For 30 minutes. If in the 30 minutes there was one episode of breathing sign, we give them two. If there's one episode of breathing, we'll have two. In the same 30 minutes, if there is an absence of Episode, if, there's an ab, if there's an absence of breathing or there was a breathing but less than 30 seconds so an absent or uh, let's say an, an absence or breathing breath rate less than 30 seconds they will have zero one breathing episode for 30 seconds in 30 minutes is 2. Absence of breathing episode in 30 minutes is 0. Or breathing less than 30 seconds in 30 minutes is also 0. Second variable. In the third variable, we're going to look at gross body movement. Gross body movement. What is the gross body movement? Quickening. Fetal moves in the mama or uh, in the mother's belly. Shaking. That is gross body movement. 
feet are moving the body. That is gross body movement. In this situation, in 30 minutes, in 30 minutes, if there is at least three body or limbs extension, flexion, we'll get them two. So meaning, in 30 minutes, we wait for the body movement. If there is a body movement, the body move in 30 minutes, or the fetus extended their arms, or flex their arms, or their limbs were extended or flex, get them two. So in 30 minutes, if there was an extension or a flexion or a flexion of the limbs or the arm, in 30 minutes, get them two. If there was no flexion, no extension, if there was absence of movement, we give them zero. The light out. The fourth one. The fourth one becomes uh the fetal tone. I'm gonna put it up here. The fourth one is the fetal tone. Fetal tone. The fetal tone. You have um at least one episode of uh, extension or no episode. If there is one episode, is is two. No episode is zero. Then we have the quality of the amniotic fluid volume. The last one becomes the quality of the amniotic fluid volume. Amniotic fluid volume. In this in this in this situation, um, at least if there is one pocket that is two centimeters deep, getting two. So meaning we'll go in and check if, if because the amniotic fluid is, is in the uterus. Now, the, if, the, if, the, if the woman, depending on the position, the woman is 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 is, 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 is assuming that can give us what is happening or how much can we get. Now, let's say the female is standing. When she's standing, so in the lower portion of her body parts in the uterus, there should be a pocket full of amniotic fluid. So if that pocket full of amniotic fluid contains is equal to two centimeters deep, meaning we're getting two. If there is no part of the body parts that can provide for all two centimeters of amniotic fluid, we're getting zero. That's how we can determine whether it is polyhydramnia or it is oligo oligohydramnia. So for the anklets, Remember these five domains. If the anchor will not ask you about this, um, what come after, think about that there are five things that take. I talk about the fetal heart, the, the BPP, the heart rate, breath rate, cross body movement, fetal tones, and the amniotic fluid. That's the five things. I want to remember these five things for real. It's gonna, it might come in slow that I apply. Any question about this test? Now. So after everything, Amadou, yes. Um, the error is talking about two and zero, zero. So which one correct? Which one correct? Like how? Like if it shows two, um, the result. These are result, right? So everything is two or zero because now, let's hold on. Let's come to the findings. How do we interpret the result? These are just what you check for. 
The results are interpreted, interpreted in the two ways. One, if it is 8 to 10, if these numbers, we have five errors, right? We have five errors. We have the heart rate, the fetal breath rate, the, the gross body movement, the fetal tone, and the amniotic fluid. If everything, we let's say, fetal heart rate, they have two. Fetal breath rate, they have zero. Fetal body movement, they have two. Fetal heart tone, they have two. Fetal amniotic fluid, they have two. Let's add everything. Two, four, six, eight, right? We have eight here. Now, the rule says eight to ten consider normal BPP. Means it's normal. Meaning the feature is good. Now, anything between four to six is abnormal. Meaning, okay, so uh, eight to six is normal. That means the fetal, um, all right, let me see something. Now, 8 to 10, okay, so so we must have 10. Let me see, okay, so let's have 10. Hold on, let me raise it, let me go work better. So all of these domains, we expect to have 10. If we have 10, it's, it's excellent. If we have anything between 8 to 10, there is low risk of asphyxiation. Low risk of asphyxiation. Now, in a situation where we have between four to six, four to six, it is not normal, it is abnormal result. That means the fetal is having chronic fetal asphyxia. So they are having chronic Effect asphyxiation. If they have anything less than four as the result, meaning it is strong, they are having strong fetal asphyxiation, meaning they are having strong fetal breathing problem. It's, they mean it is, it is like an acute condition. So that's how we do the test. So there are five parts. So each part should have other two to be good, or it should have zero to be a bad result. So the fetal heart rate, if there is no fetal heart rate, it's bad. It's zero. If there is fetal heart rate for 30 minutes, about 30 seconds, then they'll have what is good, meaning it is two. So we add everything in the five area. If it's 10, it's excellent. If it's eight to 10, it is not good. There's a low rate. If it is six to six, to uh, six, if it is four to six, it is bad. If it is four or below four, it's worse. Now the NST is called the non-stress test. Why is it called non-stress test? It is the most widely used technique during antipartum to evaluate the fetal well-being, um, which can be done in the third trimester. Now, the BPP can provide for us fetal well-being. BPP can detect for us fetal well-being. Also, non-stress test determines fetal well-being. In the NCLEX, which test is most commonly used to detect a fetal well-being? A says CST, B says AFP, C says biophysical profile, and D says NST. 
Which one will be the correct answer? D. D, right? Because they said that a D, which is non-stress test, it is the most commonly used test in the U.S. to determine a fetal physical well-being. So it is, a, it, it, it is the most commonly used test. This test can be done in the what? In the third trimester. It is, it is a non-invasive procedure that monitors the fetal heart rate. It monitors the fetal heart rate to movement. Now, that's the ratio. It monitors the fetal heart rate to fetal movement. Meaning, every time there's a fetal movement, we measure the fetal heart rate. That's how the test can be done. It monitors the fetal heart rate to fetal movement. It gives, that's the result it gives us when we are doing the test. What is important here is, in this situation, in this non-stress test, there are two things that I use in the non-stress test. I want to remember very well. We use two transducers. We use one Doppler transducer and we use the taco transducer. Transducer. So we use the taco and the Doppler transducer. Now, um, these two tests, uh, these two domains can be used for two different things. Because we said we want to monitor the fetal movement to the fetal heart rate. So that's why I wrote the ratio, fetal heart rate to fetal movement. That's a ratio. So what to get the ratio, ratio is not one thing. To have a ratio, we we'll have two separate things to compare. That is ratio. Now, so in this situation, we'll use two different equipment to get the non-stress test results. In here, we used a Doppler transducer to monitor the fetal heart rate. So this Doppler transducer monitor fetal heart rate. Let's not forget this. That's one. Two, the Tucker transducer monitors maternal contraction. Maternal contraction. So, maternal contraction plus fetal heart rate gives us um, this test result. We will place, uh, we'll place the Doppler transducer on the mother's abdomen to obtain a tracing, and we give the mother a button. She's gonna hold a button in her hand like a little swish. And we'll ask her every time the mother feels the child move, she should press the button, she should boost the button or the boost the bell. Then there's one movement. So the mom is lying on the bed, she has something in her hand like this. When she feels the child movement in the uterus, she should press this button. So those two things I will use to get the NST. So um 
this will allow the nurse to assess the fetal heart rate in relationship to the fetal movement. So when we use the fetal heart rate to uh, when we use the Doppler transducer to get the fetal heart rate and the total transducer to get the maternal contraction, it gives us uh it helps us to assess the fetal heart rate plus the movement. That will give us the result of the NST. That's what we're doing now. Notice it's important to know which one is the fetal heart rate monitor, which one is the maternal contraction monitor. Taco, just think about taco. What comes to your mind? Taco lightest medication. What they are for? And think about maternal contraction. Taco transducer. Think about Doppler. For Doppler is for fetal heart rate, but yet taco transducer is for maternal contraction. So just think about these words in that relation it is done in the third trimester it helps us to rule out fetal death um when the mother has diabetes mellitus it is used twice a week starting at 28 and 32 weeks of gestation now um how do we prepare the patient for this test sit the patient in a reclining chair Let's listen to the children very clearly. Patient will sit, the mother will sit, or the pregnant one will sit into a recliner. That's one. Sit into a recliner. And then, or if we do not have a recliner, the mother can lie in a bed, or put a bed into a, a semi-fowler position. Recliner or a semi-fowler position. Anyone is okay. Um, or... If they cannot do that, they can be in a left lateral position, reclining position, semi-fowler, or left lateral position. There is a question yesterday or Haley posted into the group chat, and she said the nurse came in and met the patient lying in the supine position. What's the first thing the nurse do? One answer was about assessment, one was about intervention. Well, they had a lot of answers. Now, in that we said in this situation, we only assess in nursing question for the ankles. We only assess if we only assess if our patient is not in distress. So many I walked with a patient who finger is between the door. Patient is shouting. I'm not going to assess. That's distress. I'm going to intervene to remove the finger from between the doors. If her hair is in there and she's laughing, she's not in distress, I will come and see what's the cause that that, that, that led to her fingers being between the door. No distress. So in the situation of lying in bed in supine position for a mother who is pregnant, we go through and intervene. Because supine position for a mother can pose a huge complication to the mother's and the fetal life. So the answer was to go in and tell the mom to lie down in the left lateral position. Just, 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 so you, just so you know that. Now, um, for this test, um, we apply after the mother has assumed one of these positions, either a reclining chair, semi-fowler position, or left lateral position, we apply the conduction gel to the client 
abdomen because we are going to use the Doppler to view the abdomen. You might talk about the Doppler ultrasound. We use the Doppler transducer to view the fetal as the mom holds the button in her hand. So we'll put a gel on the abdomen and then we'll apply two belts to the client abdomen and attach the fetal heart rate and uterine contraction monitors to those two belts. So we'll attach two belts, one belt for the fetal heart rate and one belt for the contraction, BELT. One belt, we'll attach two belts, one for the fetal heart rate and one for contraction. So we'll put two belts. With, with fasting two belts under the mother's abdomen in this test. Now, so the patient will press the button on the hand held, even uh, on the hand held um, on the marker each time she feels the child movement. If there are no movement, that means the fetus is slipping. Um, or there is a vibroacoustic stimulation, sound source similar and can be activated for three seconds on the maternal abdomen over the fetal head to awaken the fetus. Now, meaning if we put study procedure and there is no movement, we have to wake up the fetus. How can this be done? We'll put something on the mother abdomen which is, 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 is called vibroacoustic. Vibro is called vibroacoustic acoustic stimulator to wake the baby so that we can feel the movement. So we'll put it there for three seconds and it will make sound on the mother abdomen to wake the baby up. Then we'll check the movement. Any question on that? Any question before I move to the findings? Any question on that? Now we have to remember this, the way the test can be done, the findings and the test definition and test indication. It's important to note them. Now, how do we interpret the results? A non-stress test, if it is reactive, it's normal. Meaning, a non-stress test will look at fetal variability. What is fetal variability? Fetal variability is the fetal heart rate movement. You, you, you've heard about deceleration and, and acceleration. So it linked, it, it linked to this. Now, when there is a reactive fetal, when, it, when there's a reactive non-stress test, meaning it's good, meaning the fetal is moving. That means it's good. Now, in this reactive fetal test, in this reactive or uh, in this reactive answer, which is a normal answer, meaning there will be acceleration, fifteen minutes, at least fifteen minutes before thirty-two weeks, or for at least fifteen seconds. Before 32, and it will crash two or more times during 20 minute period. 
So there will be fetal acceleration. Now, before 32 weeks of pregnancy, we'll do the non-stress test. There will be fetal acceleration 15 minutes for at least 15 seconds. Meaning, within 15 minutes of monitoring, right? There should be fetal acceleration for at least 10 seconds within 15 minutes. So 10 minutes. Now let's say let's say let's say it this way. In the case of the, the, the interpretation, there is a baseline variability. That means there will be acceleration at least 15 minutes for 15 seconds. So 15 minutes per 15 seconds. So meaning was when we look to the future acceleration, it will last for 15 seconds for every 15 minutes. Meaning it is a while, it is reactive. So we start the procedure and wait for 15 minutes. Let's say it start at 12 15. We wait until 12 45. Sorry, 12 uh 12 30. Okay, 12 30, right? So within the 12 30, we should be able to hear fetal or uh, movement for at least 15 seconds in this 15 minutes. That means the test result is reactive before or at 32 weeks of pregnancy. Now, um this should occur 20 minutes more when the patient is above 32 weeks pregnant for the non-stress test. Remote, remote the, the results, reactive and non-reactive. Now, if it is non-reactive, meaning there are two things we look at in non-reactive stress test. Meaning there is no movement in 20 minutes window. Now, that means when the non-stress test result is non-reactive, that simply means we whatever for 20 minutes and there was no movement. After we did all those stimulation, there is no movement. What can be done? So let me say this: in the reactive, in the reactive non-stress test, there is 15 seconds movement within 15 minutes. For the non-reactive non-stress test there is no movement within 15 minutes within 20 minutes zero now when we have this it's good the test ends right there if we achieve the worst result which is a non-reactive result meaning what can be done meaning we have to go ahead and do some tests we do more tests to verify what is going on because it is not a good result that the fetal is not moving fetal might be dead fetal might have some asphyxiation or fetal might be hypoxate so what is causing those things whether it is real hypoxia or it is other conditions we want to know so what else can we do so that's why this NST is the most commonly used test to know the fetal well-being 
it is cheaper it is done easier than other tests now in a case in a case this is not reactive the doctor will now order one of these two tests they will now order other the bowel ventricle profile or the or the cst the contraction stress test are we listening very keenly if we have a non-reactive stress test non-stress test meaning it is not good result we move on to do one of these two tests to give us a more insight of the cause or the causes of what is happening to have non-reactive non-stress tests which we will either do the biophysical profile or we'll do contraction stress tests any question In the CST, um, there are two ways we do CST. Two ways. Who can tell me the two ways? Can someone tell me the two ways we do the CST? How do we do CST? So the CST can be done by nipple stimulation, rubbing our palm across our breast nipples, or we give oxytocin to stimulate. So I will do CST. The CST is the contraction stress test. This test um can be done two ways the first way is the nipple the nipple stimulated the nipple stimulated stress uh cst the nipple similar cst that's one how can we do this we will ask the woman um to use her palm to cross to brush her palm across her nipples for two minutes rub the nipple brushing the palm across for two full minutes now in these two full minutes what do we want to achieve we want to achieve the release of oxytocin the endogenous oxytocin Oxytocin is one of the medications we use during labor. We have the one that is produced by the body itself. That is what we call the endogenous oxytocin. That is that is a hormone produced by a gland in the body called the pituitary gland. So the pituitary gland, when you rub your, your when you brush your palm across the nipples, that's stimulation. With that's how the body releases oxytocin, which well um which can be repeated within five minutes of rest then that will begin contraction why do we administer oxytocin or pitocin in labor why can someone tell me why do we administer this medication in labor why do we administer oxytocin oxytocin is the same as pitocin why do we administer this medication in labor why 
to induce it induces contraction that's one or it improves right or it improves mm -hmm. contraction now so have we seen on the labor unit we've seen the male wives the nurse male wife stimulating the abdomen like this right we have seen that right doing this thing to the abdomen playing with the, playing with the breast nipples they are doing that for the body to get stimulated and produce more pitocin that is that is made by the body itself that's what we do on 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 on, on the labor wall so when we do that then there will be more contraction and the more the contraction the wider the cervix opens and the wider the cervix opens there will be more fun uh, there will be more pressure on the descent of the presenting part of the fetus so the more the contraction or the longer the contraction the wider the wider the surface is going to be opening and the better will be the process of delivery so that's the function of this test so we'll go ahead brush our hand across the nipples for two four minutes we rest for five minutes and go back and do it to produce um to produce pitocin or the genus pitocin um the response which will reduce placenta blood flow determine how the filter will tolerate the stress of labor so this now that's one reason why we did a cst another reason is cst can be done to to understand how the fetus will withstand the stress during labor that's why we do cst for those two reasons now so this this is done um to determine how the fetus will tolerate stress of labor at least this can there'll be three contractions within 10 minutes that will last at least four to four to six minutes with each contraction um we should not hyper stimulate it should be only five if we hyper stimulate what's going to happen there will be uterine contraction and how do we determine that there's hyper stimulation in this test we should this, this is important for our ends in this test we should only stimulate the nipples to produce a duration of contraction between 40 to 60 seconds that's how long this test should produce for a contraction. If there is hyperstimulation, it leads to contraction that will last more than 90 seconds. Any contraction lasting more than 90 seconds, it is referred to as hyperstimulation, which is not good. It should be avoided. Now, if the nipples brushing fail us, if we did not achieve what we want to achieve for the CST, then we give medication, then we'll give oxytocin, then we'll give the second test will be oxytocin stimulated CST. Now in this type, we will um we administer 
the medication oxytocin IV to induce uterine contraction. So we start the medication with difficult to stop and lead. Uh, oh, so 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 we put up the medication. Now there are few conditions that we cannot serve this medication. One of those conditions is when there is a placenta problem. We never want to serve oxytocin when there is a contraction problem. That's one. When a woman has previous C-section, we do not want to serve this medication. When a woman has multiple gestations, we do not want to serve this medication. When a woman has cervical incompetence, meaning when she was pregnant, before she reached term pregnancy, the cervix had already started opening. Which we call cervical incompetence or cervical insufficiency. It's a condition in which the cervix begins to open before term pregnancy. So we go in and do cervical clavish. So that we go in and ligate or close, close the cervix manually to prevent it from opening. So in those conditions, we cannot serve oxytocin for any reason. But besides that, so all the placenta pre placenta previa, placenta abruptio, vasa vasa previa. So the three categories of placenta problem. In those three categories, we do not serve pitocin medication or any one that will cause contraction. We don't serve the medication. Any question? Yeah, Mando. Mm -hmm. If the non stress test is negative. Mm -hmm. You have option to do one, either the BBP or the SPS, or you're going to do all two? You do one. Any? You can choose any one to do? Yeah. It's one to do, because all two will tell us that the child... Now, imagine if you do the CRT and the child says still does not move, the child is dead. Okay. So, it is, it's Thank not possible that there is contraction, and the child is not moving, the child is not breathing, meaning the child is dead. If you do the BPP and the result, there is no breathing, there is no movement, there is no heart rate, the child is dead. So these two tests can tell us the child is the child is alive or not. So you, so another, you can do one. Yeah. Another question: uh -huh. If they do the nipple stimulation uh -huh. and it's still, and if you administer the pitocin, maybe the person don't have. Previous years, multiple gestation. Will it not cause preterm labor? The person will not be at risk of preterm labor. No, that's why we said it should be done within duration for two, four minutes. It's enough to give us a conjunction between four that will last for between, that will last between four to six seconds because th these things are scientific. So a contraction lasting for 40 seconds to 60 seconds will not cause any much problem. You do it one or two times. Remember, this, this contraction is induced. When you stop the contraction, it stops. Or when you stop the, the, the when you stop the stimulation, it stops. So now, but let's agree that once we do the the the, the palm brushing or the nipples, and there is contraction, there is no movement. We don't have to even do the, the, the next test because the next test is to achieve contraction. But if there is contraction, there is maternal uterine contraction, and the fetus is not moving, 
There is no sound of movement. There is no fetal heart rate, no fetal heart tone, meaning the child is not alive. So we do not have to even do the second one because the second one will also do the same contraction and there will be no result. But if we did the first one and there is no contraction, meaning then we can go ahead and do maybe the, we, we can administer the medication. But once there is a contraction, we should do the fetal movement, then that ends the test. Thank you. You're welcome. It's gonna right. So I've not got the right. I want to find that means that is either you use the nipple stimulation or you use the oxytocin stimulation on. Is that what it's doing? Yes. So let's say in let's say the question came like in the anklets. A patient who is a previous C-section patient, or Mary is a or maybe got her first child through c-section during her second pregnancy um she completed a non-stress test and the result is non-reactive right she is now available and qualified to do the contraction stress test the cst during the procedure what would a nurse anticipate to be used a says uh, nipple stimulations. B says oxytocin stimulated CST. D says they give you all these things. So that means mirror history is a contraindication for the medication. So what we we'll do? Okay. So 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 we we'll do the what? The the nipple, the nipple stimulation. So that's how yeah. that's how sometimes. It's gonna be now if it is negative in this cst if it's negative many is good many is a normal test so negative mean normal right now in this situation if it's negative it's good meaning so if it is negative, it is good. Oh if it's negative, it is good. Within 10 minutes period, with three contraction, there are no mm. late acceleration of the fetal heart rate. So to be negative, there should be three contraction occurring within 10 minutes with no fetal deceleration. Mm. Meaning it is, it, it, it is a negative, meaning it is a good test result. If it is negative, meaning we 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 recorded three contraction within ten minutes. Um, there was no deceleration. Now, that means in the first five minutes, so in the first two minutes, we should get at least one or two. Second two minutes, we should get at least one or two. That's why when you brush your palm for two minutes, wait for five minutes, we can start the new one. That means it is good. Now, if it is positive, meaning it is abnormal finding. If it is positive, it is abnormal. Please remember these things well. If it is positive, Meaning it is abnormal. 
Now, when it's abnormal, how does it read? That simply means um, there was persistent and consistent late deceleration for most of the contraction or for half of the so there was there was persistent and consistent deceleration for 50% of the procedure so um when we have this uh, when we have this result, then there is other what we call uterine placenta insufficiency, or there can be coil compression, or there can be early deceleration, which can indicate hair compression. So when there is, whenever there is early, when there is early, when there is early, early deceleration, there is other hair compression. Or when there is late now, I want to. I'm going to remove this thing. These are important English question. Late acceleration, late acceleration, and early acceleration. In the English, these are bad things. You don't want to happen to your patient. This, this, this deceleration, they are bad. Accelerations are good in the English. Now, in the English, when we have, okay, the last one is variable. So there are three kinds of uh, deceleration. We have variable deceleration. So we have variable late and early. Let's start with variable. In variable deceleration, um, there is there is a uh, core compression, right? Okay. So, yes. for v have you seen a wall? Uh, I call it. I call it. Uh, uh, how do you call it? Velcro, right? Have you seen Velcro? Velcro. Have you heard the word Velcro? V e a l c h o p. Velcro. Verbal yeah. early acceleration. Uh, you have this. You have this in the English, right? Yeah. Now, now, when there is verbal, when there is verbal acceleration, it means there is coil compression. Coil, yeah. there is coil compression, right? Mm -hmm. That's one. Two, when there is acceleration. Early deceleration, it means there is what? Okay, there is head compression. No, sorry, there is core compression. There is core compression. Core compression. Core compression. The one is head, right? There is core compression. So when there is uh when there is very deceleration, that is there is core compression. When there is early, there is head compression. Am I saying it right? When there is verbal, there is core compression. When there is early, there is hair compression. When I sing it, when Jeff would have a third job, then you will get it right. Jeff would have. Okay. 
If I'm not catching up, I will ask you. Now, now, right? Oh, mm -hmm. uh, that okay. Hold on one second. Let me. Let's go. Let's, now, for aminosynthesis, this test is a test we performed. Uh, we insert a needle transabdominally. We aspirate uh, amniotic fluid to test it. Um, so we go into the uterus, punch out the amniotic sac, and do direct aspiration. Wherein we will guard it with ultrasound. So we, we use an ultrasound to puncture the, the abdomen, go into the uterus and aspirate amniotic fluid with the guardians of the ultrasound to, 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 to guard us, for us not to puncture the placenta. During this test, um, it can be performed after 14 weeks. It is important to know when this test can, can, can be performed. It is performed after 14 weeks of gestation. Um, this test, it can diagnose for us other chromosomal abnormalities, like a neurotube defect. It can diagnose some congenital abnormalities. And we can also detect the level of the AFP, the alpha fetoprotein test, another test we're about to do, can be determined from this Aminosynthesis from amniotic fluid. Um, we can also test for lung maturity. We can test lungs maturity that bring out the fignal, the fignal myelin ratio. Fignal myelin ratio. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's called lex lexitin lexitin. Yeah, lexitin fignal myelin ratio. So the little thing, fignal myelin ratio is the L and S ratio can be determined from this amniosynthesis. And this test tells us how mature the fetal lungs are prior to delivery. So remember that word, it comes in the end of the lab. We can also look at uh, fetal hemolytic disease. How well the fetal RBCs are being destroyed by what condition in the case of if the mom had previous uh 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 previous blood 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 incompatibility of a previous child and at this time she having she caring for another child this can be done at this stage so we can detect erythroblastosis fetalis with this test during the during pregnancy of, of the mother's second or ongoing fetus um, we can also determine whether there is meconium in the amniotic fluid by doing the by doing this aminosynthesis, it can be detected. Um, we make sure we explain to the to the parents about the procedure. We obtain uh, informed consent because it is invasive. We assist the mother into a supine position, and we place wedge underneath. Their buttocks or the red hips to displace what this vena cable. So it is this test that the mother will assume a supine position. They will get in the, into a supine position, but will place wedge 
underneath the right hips to prevent uh to prevent venicava insufficiency now during this during this uh to displace the uterus uh, to displace the uterus of the venicava because if the mom lies in supine position um the uterus will suppress the vena cava, the both superior and inferior, which will cause fetal uh, uh, blood problem, that the blood, it does, uh, which will cause fetal breath problem because there will be vena cava suppression, the child might not breathe, there will be no circulation, the child might go into a fixation just from that. So, what I like, make sure we place wedge underneath the hip, the right hip, to, to release the pressure of the vena cava. Um, we make sure we prepare the ultrasound to help to locate the placenta for us not to accidentally puncture the placenta when we are doing the aminosynthesis. We cleanse the abdomen with an antiseptic solution before we can administer anesthesia, which is a local anesthesia, before we can go in and create the puncturing and do the aspiration. These are that we have to like look out for when we have this test on hand. While doing this, we got to monitor the fetal heart rate, uterine contraction during the procedure, and we got to monitor for 30 minutes after the procedure. Um, it is during this procedure. After this procedure, we have to administer Rogam D. We have to administer the Rogam. The immunoglobulin or immune medication. Whenever someone is pregnant and we do any procedure that will expose the two lives, the fetal and the maternal life, will be exposed to any blood incompatibility during pregnancy, we must administer Rokam D to prevent erectile blastosis fetalis condition. It is a condition in which the mother might have an RH negative blood while the fetus will have RH positive blood. So during this procedure, we'll go in and create, we'll go in and uh, penetrate the abdomen and penetrate the amniotic sac so there'll be blood mixturing. So if the mother has RH negative and the fetus is RH positive, meaning there'll be blood mixing the world the world called sensitization sensitization it is the process in which the maternal rh negative blood and the fetal rh positive blood get mixed up which is what we call sensitization so when this occurs we want to administer the rogam d medication now if the mother is rh positive we do not need to administer anything because our goal is to prevent the mother from having rh positive blood incompatibility is already rh positive meaning the child can be rh negative the child is fine the mother is fine if the child is rh positive the child is also fine the mother is also fine any question? 
Um, yeah, can you? Uh, uh, hello? Yes. I'm going can you go over that again? You said when the mother is RF and the child is what? So, now I want you to listen to everything Megas want after, right? Because these tests, the indications why they are why they are why they are ordered are uh, those reasons are important. One of those reasons is there are a lot of reasons I mean. Now during the procedure, this is the mother right here, right? She's right here, she's she's pregnant. The fetus is in the mother belly. Now the mother has different blood blood uh, blood type. She might have RH negative blood. The child who she's carrying is RH positive. Now this is complete incompatibility. Now this there is no problem. Once uh she's in this situation, there have been no blood mixing, she's still fine. When we do the amniocentesis, which is a procedure in which we use a needle, right? We use a needle. To puncture and go in here, this needle will puncture the abdomen, penetrates it, and go into the amniotic sac. This becomes the amniotic sac that contains the amniotic fluid. So, so the needle goes in, penetrate the abdomen, penetrate the amniotic sac, and go into the amniotic sac and aspirate. Amniotic fluid. Now, during this amniotic fluid alteration, there is exchange of blood, of blood type. Around here, you will have the mother RH positive blood, uh, the RH negative blood in the mother's skin. So the, the, so the needle passes through the mother's skin and pick up this RH negative blood and goes into the into the amniotic sac and deposit this RH negative blood in the amniotic sac. Now, this blood will find a way enter into the child, into the fetal systemic circulation. Now, now what happening in here? The mother RH negative blood has entered in here, and the child also has RH positive blood. While pulling off this needle, the child RH positive blood will follow the needle and go into the mother's systemic circulation. Now, the mother has RH negative but RH positive. The child has R negative and R positive. But the child is not affected. Because this R is positive blood, for the, the child who has it, the child will not be affected at this stage. The child will be born and go on and live a normal life. Subsequently, if the mother got pregnant with this R negative blood in her system, with these two bloods mixture in her system, that child she's going to have subsequently will not survive because this child will be exposed to a condition called erythroblastosis fetalis. This condition will cause increased RBC destruction, which is hemolysis, hemolysis, which will lead to increased bilirubin or bilirubinemia in the blood for the fetus. You will have the, the skin will get this will, will become yellowish and all this and all discoloration. Now, to prevent this condition. Every time we do the test, amniocentesis, for any mother who has an RH negative blood, we must administer a medication called 
Rogam D. This medication. It prevents the mother from being sensitized to the fetal and the blood. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So all fetal have a right positive blood? No, not all fetal. Okay. So, but the goal is, when we have not done a discharge test, to so know what blood test the child has, once the mother has RA negative blood, we have means of the program D. So if the child has RA positive blood, she's still fine. If the, child, if the child does not have RA positive blood, she's also fine. It won't cause a harm if you take, it's like COVID uh, vaccine. Take the vaccine. If you don't get out anybody who has COVID, you are fine. If you kick out someone who has COVID, you are still fine. So this is like that. So you take the Rogam D. If the, if the fetal has the blood, the mother is safe and subsequent children are safe. If the child has negative blood, like the mother, everyone is still safe. On the other hand, if the mother is positive, the mother does not need this medication. And the rule can be given at seven months or seventy-two hours after delivery. Yeah, we did it at twenty-eight weeks of pregnancy. Now, many if let's say the test can be done at twenty-eight weeks, right? And this yes. is this endless. When do we do this test? Eight weeks. Yeah. Testing. Testing the twenty weeks. I just said it. I said we do it after fourteen weeks. Now the yeah. regular time. To do RH in compatibility tests or RH blood tests for the for, for the mother, we do it at what? Around 28 weeks. Eight weeks yes. If it is done around this time, is RH negative, we administer it all within seven to two hours after delivery. We administer it. That's it. So the reason why That's we the, the reason why we are administering it here at this stage. Is because we're doing a test that exposes the mother to this disease condition, which is called erectro erectro blast blastosis fetalis. fetalis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why we're doing this test. We're doing this medication at this time because this test will expose the mother to this condition. Mm. That after delivery, we're not gonna give another one. No, we're not. So in this case, when we have low level of uh, okay, now in this test, so, so, so let's use this test, this test, and do the next one. So we can also do from this test, we can do the AFP, the alpha fetoprotein. It's called alpha fetal protein test protein is simply called AFP now this AFP it has two results it has the high result and the low result now when it's high when we measure the alpha fetoprotein test if we measure it if it's high if it's very high that means um it means there is neural tube defect if it's high there is neural defects if it's low that simply means there is down syndrome down syndrome 
or there is some chromosomal abnormality or chromosomal abnormalities. Uh, this test can be done between 15 to 20 weeks of gestation. Ideally, most often, we should do it between 16 to 18. That's the most it, ideal period. 16 to 18, but it can be done between 15 to 20 weeks. It can be done. Now, when it's also high, it might not indicate neural tube defect. What are the neural tube defects you know as nurses? What are the neural tube defects? Spana, Bethy, that was one. What else? Meningocele. Uh, uh, it's uh, so this coming three type: meningocele, myeloid meningocele, and they have another type, right? Now mm -hmm. we have spina bifida, cystica, and different type. Then we have uh umphalocele, umphalocele, umphalocele. It's another neural tube defect. We also have an, 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 we also have another one that we refer to as a we have uh um the fetal score the anencephaly so anencephaly omphalocele spinal bifida they are all result thing from an an increase in neuro uh, in the AFP so an increase in the amount of AFP will show that the child is either having a neurotic defect like spinal bifida omphalocele anencephaly now or there could be one more the NKS acts a patient a, a, a nurse is monitoring the patient's AFP result and the nurse figure out, figure, figure out that the patient is having increased AFP what are the conditions of choice that will indicate an increment in the AFP one they have own fallacy Two, they have uh, they have uh, spinal bifida. Three, they have anencephaly. Four, they have tetralogy of fallot. Five, they have multiple gestation or multiple pregnancy. All oh, these things. What would be the correct answer? Slow that apply. One, umphalocy, spinal bifida, anencephaly, yes. and multiple gestation. Yeah. There's a hard difference. So we can also have increased AFP. In the case of mm -hmm. when we're having twin or triplet pregnancy, so it, it does not have to be neural tube problem. It could also be multiple pregnancy that we can experience high level of AFP. When we have low AFP, it either, there's either uh, Down syndrome or chromosomal disorder, or there is a growth of fibroid in the uterus. So when it's low, there's a fibroid, or we are having what we call uh, had did it form mole, which, which, which is the same growth of fibroid in the uterus. Had did it, had did it form mole, M-O-L-E. So the low, the lower of the AFP indicates Down syndrome, or had did it form mole, or having some fibroid in the uterus. And the high level indicates there's a neurotic defect, spinal bifida, omcephaly, and anencephaly, or there is multiple gestation. Does that make sense? That's complete. Now the lung test, the fetal lung test. So the fetal lung test 
can be performed at 37 weeks. So the fetal lungs test, fetal lungs test can be performed at 37 weeks of gestation. This fetal lung test, um, in the event of ruptured membrane, preterm labor, or complication of C C-section, we can perform this test. So when there's a C-section, when there is a preterm labor, when there is rupture of the membrane, less than 37 weeks, we can do this uh, test for the we can, we can do the, the fetal lung test to know whether the fetal lungs is mature or the lungs are mature. Now during this test, like I said, we pull out amniotic fluid through the process called aminosynthesis, right? Now, what is important here is um, we are testing to know the lesser thing, lesser thing, lesser thing to signal, to signal myelin ratio. So this ratio tells us the lungs maturity. So when we do this test, we are determining the lungs maturity in here. Now, a normal lungs maturity, um, it should be two to one. A normal one lung maturity is two to one. Any, any, any result will get two to one, meaning there's a normal lungs maturity. Now, this simply means Anyone that is, uh, that is between like 2 to 5 to 1 or 3 to 1, meaning uh, the patient has diabetes mellitus. Anyone that comes like 2 to 3 to 1 or 3 to 1, it means the fetal heart, the, 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 the mother has diabetes mellitus, which can also affect the baby. Um, there is one we call phosphatidylglycera, the PG test. Now, the absence of the PG, there will be a there will be a, a breathing distress. The absence of the PG in this test means there's a breathing problem. There will be a breathing breathing distress. That's that's what I want us to know on here. The last two we'll look at. Uh, the percutaneous umbilical blood sampling. Percutaneous umbilical blood sampling. Percutaneous umbilical blood sampling. This test is commonly called chordal synthesis. It's commonly called chordosynthesis. That's the common name for PUBS. Percutaneous umbilical blood sampling is commonly referred to as chordosynthesis. It is the most common method used to use for fetal blood sampling and fetal transfusion. It is used for fetal blood sampling, meaning to do the fetal blood test or to do fetal transfusion. This test. In this procedure, we we'll obtain blood from the fetal umbilical cord by passing in a fine gauge fiber optic uh, 
of scope, which, which is the fetal scope, in there to, to visualize the amniotic sac. That's how the test is done. For this test, we pass a very fine fiber optic scope. Fiber optic scope that is called fetoscope into the amniotic fluid um, to visualize and see what is happening in the to, to know things about the blood. So we have bound the needle into the umbilical cord. We use now every time we gotta like penetrate into the uterus, we must use an ultrasound to guide us. We are being guided to prevent damaging the placenta. That's the person we using uh, ultrasound, ultrasound to, 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 to guide us. We go in and aspirate fluid or blood from the umbilical cord and complete some studies about it. Now, under these studies, I will give you a few important, important words to look them up and know what they are. One is the Combs test. Look up the Combs test. It's important, the Combs test, that's one. Two, look up. Um, we have we have indirect comb test. Look look up indirect comb test. Look up the indirect comb test. The indirect comb test as one. Two. We have the Claire Hoyer Breck test. The Claire the Claire K E R Claire Hoyer is K E I H A U R H a U E R. Claire Hoyer, half in the other war. Claire Hoyer, bet. B E T K E. Claire Hoyer, bet. Bet key test or bet. Bet key test or bet test. The Claire Hoyer, bet test. The indirect comb test. The Kyo typing. Kyo typing. Kyo typing. And the fourth one is um, again. Let me add. Let me do this three. Now, when we do percutaneous blood sampling, we are testing for these things. Now, the indirect Combs test, the Clairvoyant Bright test, and we are doing karyotyping. Now, in karyotyping, we when we karyotype. It simply means we are uh, checking chromosomes. We hear the word karyotypes, meaning we are checking chromosomes to know the chromosome animal, the amount of chromosome we are having. That's about karyotype. Now, when we do the karyotype and indirect comb test, we are checking for what we call sensitization. So look them up and you know what they are, know how they can be done, know the, uh, know the, know the indications for these tests. It is important to know, and know also the nursing management for these tests. Now, the last one, the last one is the CVS. So the CVS is what we call the chorionic villa sampling. CVS, chorionic co. Rionic Villas sampling. Villas sampling. 
the CBS. Now, this CBS test, um, it is an assessment, is assessment of a portion of the placenta, which separates through the thin sterile character when we insert in a, a syringe or needle to obtain, um, to do other tests. Now, so we do the CPS, we go in, we put in a needle or syringe in, and uh, to, to, to look at the cervix. So it, it, is, it is an assessment of the portion of the development placenta, which is activated through a thin syringe uh, that we insert through the abdomen or through the vaginal wall into the cervix under ultrasonographic guiding. So we use an ultrasound to guide us to complete a CVS. Um, in the CVS test, it is performed between 10 to 13 weeks of pregnancy. It's performed between 10 to 13 weeks of pregnancy. This is important. Know when these tests are performed. It is very important. And know why they are performed. So that's what happened for this test. Um, It, it can detect for us a lot of things. The risk of of, 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 of the child having some other abnormalities, like uh, indicate a spinal bifida, anencephaly, we'll do a CVS, meaning there's a high risk pregnancy. So when all this is high risk pregnancy, we'll do a CVS to know what happened, what we are carrying. And the last one is, uh, okay, I did, I, did, I did the last one already. Um, okay, let's do one more, which is a quad marker. The last one should have been AFP, but combine that with the, with the other one. So we'll do a quad marker test, the quad marker test. So the quad marker test is also for high risk pregnancy. It's called quad marker screening. Now the quad marker screening is for high risk pregnancy. Um, it is a test, a blood test, that is searching for us certain information about the fetal birth defect. So whenever we have high risk pregnancy, we either do the, the CVS or the quad marker test. Now, for the case of the quad marker test, it can be performed um, instead of the AFP. So the quad marker is more reliable than the AFP. Because remember, the AFP does not give us specific details. If it's high, what do we think on? One, we think on one. Neural tube defect, which includes spinal bifida, uh, uh, all those things we're talking about, right? If it's low, we think about what? Uh, we think about other conditions, like Down syndrome or chromosome anomaly. So that is not, does not give us definitive reason. When we do the quad marker screening, it gives us a definitive result. So in the end class, now for this test, know which one is widely used. Note which one provides specifics about a condition that we want, that we, that we want, that we, that we want to diagnose. So the quad marker is more specific in diagnosis than the AFP. Two of them play the same, almost the same role, but one gave you specific about a condition, the other one gave you general condition of a problem. Um, so these are things we monitor when we do the, the, the quad marker. We monitor the HCG, which is a hormone produced by the placenta. 
We can also administer, we can also monitor the AFP. We can also have protein produced by the fetus. And we can also, we can also, we can also monitor extra. Extra is E-S-T-R-I-O-L. O-L is a protein produced by both the fetus and the mother. Now, the AFP. The AFP is a protein that is produced only by the fetus. Now, for the for the HCG, the HCG is produced by the mother placenta, which can appear into the urine seven to eight weeks after pregnancy. It prepare both in the urine and in this blood serum. Um, we can also perform um, the inhibiting A test. The inhibiting A is inhibiting H I N H I B I N. Inhibiting A is produced. It's also a hormone produced by both the ovaries and the placenta. And the placenta. Any question? This test can be done between 16 to 18 weeks of pregnancy.